0: A Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek." that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, as such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Okay, we're in Joshua chapter 8. We're starting it out. This is the fall of Ai. This is part 1. So this is uh, verses 1 through 20. It's a lot of verses to get through today. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai to his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only... It's spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against I, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city." and it will come about when they come out against us as at the first that we shall flee before them for they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city for they will say they are fleeing as before us at the first therefore we will flee before them then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city for the lord your god will deliver it into your hand and it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the lord you shall do. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up. He and the elders of Israel before the people to Ai, and all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and I. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and I on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city, and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened when the king of I saw it that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people had an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand and they entered the city and took it. And hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of I looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. The words in our verses today have some extremely complicated sections, so much so they seem irreconcilable. John Lang, who almost always is a staunch literalist, says Joshua 8.3 does not agree with Joshua 8.13 and 14. Here it's said that 30,000 men are placed in the ambush. According to Joshua 8.12, they are only 5,000. Further, the 30,000 men were, according to this verse, sent out already on the evening before. In Joshua 8, 13, on the contrary, the 5,000 betake themselves to their safe concealment first on the morning of the battle. These contradictory statements taken from different sources cannot be reconciled. As always, the idea of scribal error or different sources is the easiest way to blow off something complicated like this. Cambridge, who almost always goes with one of these two choices, must have had a literalist make this portion of their commentary. Instead of blowing it off as an error, their commentary says the following. There's an apparent discrepancy between this statement and that in Joshua 8, 10 through 12. But possibly, A, while 30,000 were selected for the ambush, 5,000 were actually employed when the decisive moment came. Or, B, Joshua may have sent two distinct bodies of men one and the other 5,000. Or C. Bishop Wordsworth suggests on the day after the 30,000 had taken up their position, the 5,000 may have been sent from Joshua's own force to encourage and assure them. It is great they said this, but it still doesn't resolve the difficulties entirely. This is especially the case because what is seemingly irreconcilable is the location of the 30,000 and the 5,000. While I was doing this sermon, I expended a lot of my very small brain's ability to process things. I mean, I was exhausted at the end of the day. I made little diagrams and I was making notes and all these things I normally would not do to make sure that I was giving you an accurate description of what is going on. Both are supposedly in the same area. West of I, between Bethel and I, That really makes it hard to reconcile. Our text first comes from 1 Kings chapter 10. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. I wish, this is Charlie Garrett, I wish that the Queen of Sheba had asked Solomon about this passage. <laughs> that would have taken care of things for us. But alas, there is no record of that. As for the main problem with the dilemma mentioned above, it is, as I see it, verse 9. Here's what it says. Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai, but Joshua lodged that night among the people. That is obviously the 30,000. Well, if this is so, and verse 12 says, So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and I on the west side of the city, then both groups are on the same side of the city, even though the 30,000 were supposed to be behind the city, as is seen in verses 4 and 14. I have a proposed solution to this, which, though not accepted by the translation of the Masoretic text, is still a possible translation though very unlikely. I would rather have possible but unlikely than any of the other options mentioned. I suggest that verse 9 should be divided differently and translated exactly as the Hebrew reads with my added clarifications. Here we go. And sent them out, meaning the 30,000. Joshua and they went unto the lurking place and stayed Joshua between Bethel and between I from west and lodged Joshua in the night, the it in midst the people. That would be a literal word-for-word translation, but explaining the 30,000 and Joshua. We'll go through this later in the sermon. In other words, Joshua therefore sent them, meaning the 30,000 out, and they went to lie in ambush. And they, meaning Joshua's camp, not the 30,000, stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai, and Joshua lodged that night among the people of the camp. As I said, this would resolve the difficulties in the text, and it is still a possible, even if highly dubious, translation because the subject has changed without an identifiable change in the text. I would still prefer that to anything that is otherwise irreconcilable. As we go through these extremely, and I mean highly extremely, plus 50 difficult verses, try to remember this solution as it will resolve the other difficulties. Poor Sergio. I emailed him, thinking that his evaluation would take about two minutes. He spent over an hour researching various texts, and in the end, all he came up with is the words, grammatically, it is possible. Thank you, Sergio. For now, we must get into these verses, and they are difficult verses. They give us more insights into the redemptive narrative. Great things are to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is, see, I have commanded you. It's verses 1 through 8. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid nor dismayed. al no be afraid and no be dismayed. It is the same words of Joshua 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you noticed, the Lord said, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was obviously conditional based on what he had just said in the previous verses. Here's what it said in Joshua 1, 7, and 8. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe... And he will deliver their kings into your hand, and you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Well, that was violated with Achan in the last sermon, right? Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. And then from Deuteronomy 13, so none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy. Have compassion on you and multiply you, just as he swore to your fathers, because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. The collective nature of israel was highlighted in the offense committed by Achan. with him now removed the lord has returned to joshua and by extension to all the people therefore verse 1 continues take all the people of war with you and arise go up to Ai." the words kal am ha milchama or all people the war appear to mean all of the warriors of israel at this point if so all of the soldiers were to leave the main camp at Gilgal and head to the location of Ai. However, the coming verses show that during the battle, the men of war will be divided into smaller forces as well. If all the soldiers went, as the text indicates, it would be for them to see the battle progress and learn tactics. But more, it would be a response to what was said in the previous chapter, Joshua 7. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Aven, on the east side of Bethel. And spoke to them saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. There was no note of consulting the Lord in that passage. Joshua merely accepted the words of the men who reconnoitered and sent a small force in. Now the Lord has spoken and his words contrast those of the men who reported to Joshua. The habit of not consulting the Lord will again surface in the next chapter over an issue of great importance. At this time, the Lord says to send all the men of war, and so we can assume that they all went, even if they did not all engage in battle. Verse 1 continues, See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. As was seen in the previous chapter, the name of the city is always prefixed by a definite article, ha-i, or the-i, meaning the ruins. This location is going to be given wholly into the hand of Joshua, and its name will be a permanent testament to its state. Remembering that it is east of Bethel, or house of God, it helps us remember the typology. East is the place of exile and enmity with God. That will someday be a place of ruin ruin forever. And all that belong to it will be given into the hands of the Lord. Verse two, and you shall do to I and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Just for precision, the words more closely say to I and her king and to Jericho and her king. The sense isn't changed, but the city is treated as a single entity, like the mother of a family. This idea is fully expressed in 2 Samuel chapter 20. I am among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? The king is the leader of it. As such, the meaning is that every living person was to be harem, or anathematized. None were to be spared. Verse 2 continues, Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Simply for consistency, it should continue to read in the feminine. Only her spoil and her cattle, you, all, plural, shall plunder to you, plural. The spoil of the mother city, I, unlike Jericho, which was his first fruits to the Lord of all that was in Canaan, was to be taken by the people. Verse 2 continues, lay an ambush for the city behind it. Sim lecha orev lair me aharecha, set to you, a lying in wait to the city from behind her. The verb arav signifies to lie in wait. As such, it is generally translated as ambush. But that can be a noun or a verb depending on its use. The idea is that there is to be a contingent, actively set, lying in wait for the right time to attack. Amazingly, there are those that question the appropriateness of this order, as if an ambush is an illegitimate form of taking a city. First, it is the Lord who issues the order as much for future instruction as for anything else. Employing appropriate battle tactics to win a war is something that must be learned. But more. The very fact that the city is to be taken and all that are in it are to be put to death means that the manner in which it is taken is completely irrelevant. The saving of lives in battle is as much of a rule as is the destruction of the enemy. For the enemy, dead is dead, regardless of how it comes about. There's nothing deceitful or wrong with the instruction given. Verse 3, So Joshua rose, and all the people of war to go up against I. In immediate obedience to the Lord's word, as has been seen in the command obedience pattern thus far, Joshua mustered the army for battle against I. Verse 3 continues, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. The number is given, the state of them is provided, and the time that the order is made is specified. The number 30,000 is simply a multiple of 30. 30 in the Bible denotes in a higher degree the perfection of divine order as marking the right moment. Joshua has determined that a particular sized force of mighty men of valor were to be used for a particular task. This was done stealthily by night. And further, verse 4 And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind the city. Reu atem or vim lair me achare hair. Behold, you liars in wait to city from behind the city. This is the set directive. The 30,000 are to lie in wait facing the city, but behind it and more. Verse four continues. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. This is the force that will have a main and pivotal role in what transpires. And so they are to remain near and prepared Being near, they will be able to see the sign that Joshua will give to begin their part of the battle. With that, Joshua tells them the rest of the plans. Verse 5, then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. Joshua notes that he will be a part of the attacking force. He is the one to lead it. And he will be the one to give the signal at the command of the Lord and at the appropriate time, as is indicated in verse 18. Verse 5 continues, and it will come about when they come out against us as at the first that we shall flee before them. The expectation is that those in the city will see the contingent with Joshua. They will feel confident in the outcome and they will engage just as they previously did. When they do, they will see the same reaction as before and will assume that they can beat the attackers all the way back to destruction as happened in the first battle. Verse 6, for they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. The word translated as drawn is a very forceful word, natak, signifying to tear away or break off. It was used in Joshua 4, verse 18, when the priests lifted, or they tore away their feet from the riverbed after standing in it while the people crossed over. As for this account, this is the obvious thing to do. The inhabitants would leave the city in order to engage far enough away from it so that it would not be under siege. Once out, they would also assume that the results would be the same as in the first battle. Verse 6 continues, for they will say, They are fleeing before us as at the first. The words they are inserted, and they are not correct. Joshua is speaking as if he were from I. It says, <laughs> They flee before us as which in the first. The inhabitants will assume that Israel will cowardly flee before them, just as they previously had. Therefore, Joshua will allow them to believe exactly this. Verse 6 continues, Therefore, we will flee before them, and we flee to their face. It will be exactly as they expect. When that happens, I will think they have the same result that they previously had. When they do, verse 7, Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city. The 30,000 who are set to lie in wait are the ones to come against the city itself. The word seize is not the intent, though. The word means to dispossess or to disinherit. They will disinherit the city, taking it away from those who live there. And the reason is, verse 7 continues, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. be'yadchem And will give it, Yehovah your God, in your hand. The matter is resolved. There will be no question that when they go to dispossess it, it will be dispossessed. Verse 8, And it will be, when you have taken the city, that you shall set the city on fire. It more precisely reads, according to your taking the city. It specifically says in verse 27 that the spoil of the city was taken as booty. The number of men that would pour into such a small city would be able to slay, plunder, and take very quickly. A smaller force of 5,000 could not do so. Once the city was plundered, it was set on fire it could even be that a large smoky fire was lit to show that the city was taken and from there it was plundered and finally it was completely burnt after being plundered i would go with that last option verse 8 continues according to the commandment of the lord you shall do see i have commanded you the words are in accord with verse 2 which the lord commanded to joshua now he repeats them as a command to the men who are to act in accord with the word we are ready for battle so let us begin nothing can thwart us from the victory ahead surely in christ we shall win because for us the lord's blood was shed in him is the victory once and for all in him is the glory that lies ahead he has recovered everything lost at the fall because for us the lord's blood was shed let us go forth unto victory today never worrying about the battles ahead christ the lord has paved heaven's way because for us the lord's blood was shed. Our second thought today is a valley lay between them and I. This is verses 9 through 14. Verse 9, Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and I on the west side of I. In these words, a new word to scripture is seen, ma'arav. It is the noun form of arav already seen in this chapter. It is the place of lying in wait. It is a lurking place. He directed this larger contingent to go to the place where they will lie in wait, which is on the west side of Ai. As Ai is east of Bethel, it is then between Bethel and Ai. This is the verse I mentioned in the opening comments that my translation may solve the dilemma that scholars have faced. I would hope it's correct. If so, then the whole narrative makes a lot more sense to Charlie Garrett. If not, the text is extremely hard to pin down. If my thought is right, there should be a period after the word ambush. And then the subject, Joshua, would again be the subject of the next clause. And Joshua stayed between Bethel and I on the west side of it. As such, the word but in the next clause would be an incorrect translation. Verse 9 continues, but Joshua lodged that night among the people hahu And lodged Joshua in the night, the it, midst the people. Joshua stayed with the main body of people, while those set to lie in wait went out to the lurking place. This larger body is currently between Bethel and I. That is, if my proposal is correct. Verse 10, Then Joshua rose up early in the morning. Vayeshkem Yehoshua ba and rose early joshua in the morning this is now the fourth and final time that these exact words are repeated in the book of joshua the first time was to cross the jordan in verse 3 1 the next was to circle jericho for the battle verse six twelve. the third time was to determine who had violated the law of anathema that was verse seven sixteen. and now it is to prepare for the battle of taking eye Something important is happening and we're given this clue by the Hebrew. Verse 10 continues, and mustered the people and went up he and the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. As it is in the morning, the camp is readied for battle. It literally says he visited the people, meaning he reviewed the ranks, he ensured all was ready and so on. After that was accomplished and with the leaders accompanying him, they went before the rest of the army to Ai. From there, verse 11, and all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. This is certainly the main army of Israel mentioned in verse 3, saying, and all the people of war. Here it says, and all the people, the war who with him. It is this force that is drawing near to Ai. Verse 11 continues, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. The main force camps on the north side of the city with a gai, G-A-I, a valley between them and the city. The word indicates a gorge coming from the word geva, meaning pride. That is because the sides are lifted up, being exalted above what lies between them. Now in camp there, it next says, verse 12, so we took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. Those who feel the numbers in verse 3 are in error say this is the same force as verse 3, but instead of being 30,000, they say it is actually only 5,000. But even the Greek translation says there are two forces, one of 30,000 and one of 5,000. There are certainly two forces being described. The number 5,000 is a multiple of 50, and so it signifies jubilee or deliverance. It points to deliverance and rest following on as the result of the perfect consummation of time. The smaller force is the force intended to draw out the inhabitants of the city. These are set Orev ben Bet el Uben Ha'ai, or liars in wait, between Bethel and between the I, which is on the west side of I. Verse 13. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city. And set the people, all the camp, which from north the city. In other words, they are on the other side of the valley mentioned in verse 11, which is to the north of the city. This is where they have encamped. Verse 13 continues, and it's rear guard on the west of the city. Most translations say either rear guard or the ambush, but that is not what it says miyam and his heel from west to the city. The meaning is that the ending of the encampment, his heel, reached all the way to the west end of the city across the valley. Nadui Reims gives a good sense of this with so that the last of that multitude reached to the west side of the city. With them there, verse 13 continues, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. It is a different word for valley here. Vayelek Yehoshua baleilah hahu betok ha And went Joshua in the night, thee that in midst the depth. The word is the same used in Joshua 7.26 when referring to the Valley of Ahor. It is a deep valley. Joshua has gone to an area further away in order to draw the warriors of the city out, luring them into a trap. Verse 14 Now it happened, when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. This must be that they went out of the city to the west. That will be seen in the next verse, where Joshua acts as if they are beaten before these men. It was said in verse 12 that these men were set lying in wait between Bethel and Ai. It is those that the warriors of Ai will chase. But first, in rising and going out, it says, verse 14 continues, he and all his people, at an appointed place before the plain. What this means is that Israel is opposite the valley. They have sent out a force as a ruse for battle with a larger force than before. This was done in the sight of the king and men of Ai, and so they think, now we have these guys, and will easily wipe them out just as before. Therefore, He and his army went to a place they knew they could defeat the foe Lifne ha or before the plain. The word arava is from the verb arav, which means to grow dark or become evening. This is identical with the verb arav, signifying to give in pledge. Therefore, typologically, this would read at an appointed place before the pledge. While the king is meeting at this spot, he doesn't realize that the true intentions of Joshua have been hidden. Verse 14 continues, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And he no knew that liars in wait to him from behind the city. This is now referring to the 30,000 mentioned all the way back in verses three and four. They were told to wait Me'achare ha'ir, from behind the city. Those same words are again mentioned right now. In chapter 7, it said the city had a gate, singular. As Israel's encamped north, and the 5,000 began from between Bethel and I, meaning west, I would assume the gate faced in one of those two directions, and those in ambush would have been either to the east or the south of the city. Wherever they were located, it is behind the city as clearly indicated in the text with them carefully hidden there and ready to pounce joshua begins his faint who can defeat us with christ as our head we have nothing to fear as we continue on our sins are forgiven placed on him instead he who knew no sin has taken them they are long gone because of this we have a new hope in us the enemy cannot stand against us any longer We have won the victory because of Jesus. Against him no foe can stand. He is stronger. Thank God for his wonderful workings for us. Praises to him for all that he has done. He has restored us to himself through Jesus, his only begotten son. Our third thought today, the smoke of the city ascended. Verses 15 through 20. Verse 15, And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness the words made as if have to be inferred. Vayinagu Yehoshua veikal Yisrael lifnehem and were stricken Joshua and all Israel before their faces. It is as if they truly were stricken. And so these 5,000 took off in the way to the wilderness and as before, verse 16, so all the people who were in I were called together to pursue them. More precisely, it reads, and were called all the people who in the city to pursue after them. Every able-bodied man was called to join in the rout of Israel. This would add safety through numbers and also bring the battle to a close more quickly. With all of them now out of the city, verse 16 continues, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. Rather than them of the previous sentence, the focus is on Joshua. He is the leader, and so he is the focus of the attention at this time. Also, the same word used in verse 6, natak, is used again. Just as Joshua said would be the case, they were torn away from the city. They lost their stronghold because of it. Therefore, verse 17, there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. The city had a gate that could be shut, but without men guarding it, there would be little to stop an onslaught of battle-readied warriors. But notice that it is not just those of Ai, but those of Bethel that went out after them. The distance between the two cities was not great. Depending on the city identified as Ai, it could be between 1.5 and 3 miles. This verse would also explain the death of the king of Bethel recorded in Joshua 12 verse 16. There is no record of Bethel being overthrown until Judges chapter 1. So the king must have joined with the men of his city in this battle and been killed. With the cities emptied and pursuing Joshua, it says, verse 18, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward I, for I will give it into your hand. There's a new word here, kidon, or javelin. It says, "Nete, Stretch out in the javelin, which in your hand. It is probably a small spear that is used for thrusting. 1 Samuel chapter 17, where David slays Goliath, shows that it was worn between the soldier's shoulders, probably on the back. He could grab it like this, or it may be in front, and he could grab it like this. It's not known, but it's between the shoulders. It could be easily grabbed in times of need. The word itself comes from the same as kid signifying destruction, calamity, and so on. So it's a little calamity coming at you. Joshua was told to stretch it out, somewhat like when Moses stood with the rod of God during the battle of Amalek back in Exodus 17. It was to be a sign that the victory was assured. Verse 18 continues, And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. Again, we see the command, obedience to the command format of the book of Joshua. What the Lord says Joshua performs. He stretched out the javelin toward the city, and he will continue to do this until verse 26, which says, for Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all of the inhabitants of Ai. It is probable that at this exact moment, the retreating army would have come to a full stop in order to engage the enemy in battle. While this was going on, just at the sight of the javelin being held out, it says, verse 19, so those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. Vahorev kam mehera mimkomo, and the liars in wait arose quickly from their place. This is why they were told in verse 4, do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. They were to be as close as possible to the city in order to be able to take it before those chasing them could turn back in hopes of an attack. Verse 19 continues. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand. va yado, And they ran according to the stretching out his hand. One can almost see it. Joshua stops, turns towards the city, raises his hand, and then the people come flooding forward like a wave. With that in mind, the next words are filled with excitement. Verse 19 continues, And they entered the city, and took it, and hurried to set the city on fire. It is one short and precise clause after another. And enter, and took it, and hastened, and burned the city in the fire. The very wording makes the process seem like one quick action after another, with nothing stopping the process once it is started. As noted, there was some sort of large fire set, but the entire city is not yet burned down. Before it is, the spoil will be taken along with any animals. Only then will it be fully burned to the ground. Verse 20, and when the men of I looked behind them. The words of this verse are as exciting and brief as the previous verse. And turned men the eye after them. The sudden realization of what was transpiring must have been overwhelming. All of their families, all of their possessions, and all of their anticipations were suddenly gone from them. Verse 20 continues They saw and beheld the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. Vehine, Allah Ashan And see, behold, ascended smoke, the city, the heavens. Not only was the city captured from them, but it was also literally being consumed while they looked. Even if by a miracle they could prevail over the sudden ambush, there would be nothing to return to. As keep thinking of Jesus while I'm reading these. Think of what Jesus is doing. As such, verse 20 continues, so they had no power to flee this way or that way. And no was in them hand to flee hither and hither. Here the hand signifies power. In saying no hand, it means they were simply drained. In other words, they were suddenly left without any will in them at all to even move. They just stood there aghast at what had befallen them. At the same time, verse 20 finishes with, "And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Instead of being many, plural as before, the people who had been pursuing Israel are now turned into one force: Haam, Hanas, Hamidbar, Nefak, El- Harodef. And the people, the fleers, the wilderness turned unto the pursuer, singular. In other words, all of those who had pretended to be fleeing from the enemy simply turned and flooded over them as a single entity. This is a good place to finish the verses. The tables have been turned on eye and their destruction is at hand. But none of this would have been necessary if Israel had been obedient to the word set before them. When Ahan transgressed, it was a corporate failing that cost the nation. Likewise, when Israel was exiled, it was as a nation... In their exile, they were treated as a nation, even though they were dispersed throughout the entire world. The calamities of the law continued to fall on them throughout the years, wherever they were. Today, Israel is still facing this same national state wherever they are. The people that hate the Jews in Israel pretty much also hate the Jews in the United States. And even when Jews attempt to side against one another, they're still considered as Jews. The only hope for them individually is to come to Christ, and the only hope for them as a nation is to come to Christ. They have a collective burden set upon them, but that doesn't mean we don't have a burden on us. If we are not in Christ, we most certainly do. We have the burden of sin that stands over the collective body of humanity. None are exempt from this, and the only thing we can do to be freed from it is to come to Christ. Someday, Israel will do this, And someday, all the remaining people of the world will be joined as one to this commonwealth. For those who are not, I'm sorry, there's only one fate. For Jew or Gentile, that is total separation from God. The only way to avoid this is to call on Christ. The lesson of Israel is a lesson for us. Israel will prevail over I, and in Christ, we will prevail over the ruins of humanity. They will be swept away. A better day lies ahead for those who call on Christ, so I would implore you to do that today. This is the message of the Bible, and it's being given to us in typology. Everything we've seen since chapter 1, every single detail is pointed to what God is doing in Christ, how he would do it, both for Israel as a nation, but also for us individually. What is the process of redemption? What is the thing that Jesus is doing? Man, it's seen right in these verses. It sounds like a battle. Well, that's great. Why did he pick this battle out as opposed to some other battle? Why did he give us all of this minute detail? It's because this is pointing what Jesus is doing in the redemptive history of humanity. So think on it this week. We'll get to it next week, why these verses are here, what it is telling us. But it is all about Jesus. That's what this story is about. It's about God loving the world enough to send his son into the world to take the burden that rests upon us. Our sin, our rebellion, our fighting against God, and to say, I will take all of that garbage and I will heap it on top of my own son so that you can be reconciled to me. And all he asks us to do is simply believe. That's all that God wants. We can't give him anything else. As the Bible says, I have the cattle on a thousand hills. They're his. He owns everything, he created it all, and he gave us something that belongs to us free will. And he just asks us to exercise it in his favor. I believe that you love me enough to send your son into the world. Everything in this book from Genesis. Man, I'm going through the Old Testament again right now, and I'm reading it, and I'm so excited. I'm in Exodus and remembering all of the detail of the tabernacle. It's being put together, the fine things that he asked them to weave and to build and to cover with gold. And I'm reading, and I'm saying it's all about Jesus. Everything is pointing to what God is doing in Jesus And now we're seeing the same thing here. Call on Jesus. Believe that he died for your sins. Believe that he was buried. Believe that he rose again, and you too will be saved. It's that simple. All the rest of your life, you can learn what all of this means through typology, through prophecy, through everything that God is doing us in doctrine and theology. But accept the gift today. Call on Jesus. It is all about him. Our closing verse comes from Romans chapter 8. come he's forgiven us and there's nothing in our future that will separate us from him either it's as explicit as it could be i don't know how paul could write anything more clearly to say that you are saved you are saved today and you are saved forever eternal salvation is what this book proclaims because if not then god made a covenant with us and he failed his part of the covenant because he's the one that gave us the guarantee it belongs to us it is ours and all we have to do is redeem it when we stand before him. He's not going to renege on that. He's not like you and me. Next week is Joshua 8, 21 through 29. The enemy thinks they can win, but they will die. It is true. It is entitled, The Fall of I. Part two. Thank you. That'll be your 16th Joshua sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Now, I've got a question for you and if you get it, Lee turned this down last week even though, man, he got it right off the bat too. I'm booping, it came out of his mouth. But he's not here today. He left this for you because he's back up north and, and Publix isn't going to do him any good up there because they don't have that great store up in his area. okay. This is very simple if you know your Bible, okay? <laughs> what book ends with a written letter and then the same letter begins the next book in the Bible? Oh. Wait, just give, it, give us a few minutes. Hold on. We're gonna What's that? Yeah, we Google The book ends with a letter and the next book Ends begins with that same letter. First and no, not Timothy. What? H. No. John. No. No. Okay. Nobody's going to get this. Wait, wait. No. No. It's not a Y. I'm sorry. You let me down. Uh, no. You, no. Okay. No, this this one, it is, wait a minute, I'm going to read it to you. Nobody got it. I can't believe nobody got this because this is such an important thing. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 36. It says there, therefore he brought against them, uh, where is it? The proclamation of Cyrus. This is the end of the book of 2 Chronicles. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord, his God be with him and let him go up. And then in Ezra chapter 1, it says now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, beside the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. One book confirming another all the way through the Bible. I'm going to tell you what, if you take out one little string from this book, the whole thing unravels. Everything. But he's confirming his word after the exile for these people. Wonderful, wonderful God. I'm sorry, I thought somebody was going to get that immediately. And I didn't care if you got both. books. Right, I, get half I was going to just say that. I was going to give it to somebody that got one. But you were so all over the place. <laughs> he, he was just throwing out every that book. Was that was a very simple question. Oh, that was, I, I can't think of anything more simple than that except. The question is like, what's the first gospel in What's the first gospel? Oh, that would be way too easy. I'd have 47 people here saying, Matthew. Okay, that's okay. I got a really long poem, so we're going to read it, and we're going to have communion. Here we go. This is the Fall of I, part one. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to I. See, I have given into your hand the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. To them, you can say, Bye-bye. And you shall do it to Ai and its king, as you did to Jericho and its king, as I submit. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves, lay an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai to fight. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. Then he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, so hold steady. Behind the city, do not go very far, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city and it will come about when they come out against us as at the first that we shall flee before them. It'll look like a rout, for they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city for they will say they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. It won't look pretty. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city so you are to understand For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand, and it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire, so you shall do, according to the commandment of the Lord, see, I have commanded you. Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush, yes, out of sight, and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. but Joshua lodged among the people that night. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people by and by, and went up he and the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now between them and Ai lay a valley so pretty. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush, hard men and gritty between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city, and its rear guard on the city's west side. Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley so pretty. Now, it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people at an appointed place before the plain, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. No one did tattle. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them, a great mess, and fled by the way of the wilderness. So the people who were in I were called together to pursue them, soldiers hard and gritty. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in I or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel because things were looking swell. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward I. Show no pity for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand. Toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it, and hurried to set the city on fire, just as planned. And when the men of I looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven from the attack. They had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness on the pursuers, they turned back. Lord God, Turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Okay. Sergio you've got a job to do, buddy. Right. Don't you love those questions? What is the second word of the third chapter, seventh book from the 13th book from the end of Old Testament according to the Hebrew canon I will uh, give you to hold this paper if you guess it and then I'll take it back <laughs> I trigger I triggered Sergio. Dave. Sergio has been triggered. All right usually it's just a, especially him. usually it's a little lefty girl in a lefty college somewhere that gets triggered but we really got it Uh, heavenly father we are so grateful to you for this wonderful word thank you for it we we love you we praise you for it we praise you for what it says in it because it tells us the story of Jesus it tells us of the giving of your son for our sin the real enemy to be dealt with Lord we're facing him every day and sometimes the battle comes against us and we feel like we're defeated, but we know that in Christ, the battle is won. Thank you that we are more than conquerors, not just now, but in all the days to come because of Jesus. So give us that reassurance in our minds that exists in who we are as believers of, in you. Thank you for Jesus and it's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Um, but with all seriousness that was an excellent question it wasn't that difficult because we when you read it in succession you kind of pay attention that right. there's a letter and right there the letter and second chronicles is doesn't that uh, the uh, hebrew canon end the Old Testament with that? Yes, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Yeah, 1 and 2 Chronicles, it's and then right Bible. after this proclamation you get Matthew, which is also an interesting uh, kind of um, yep, yep. switch, so it's very cool. It's a proclamation, Chief. See, if
1: you just said proclamation... It's it a, a letter. letter it's it's a, letter. a letter.
0: It was proclaimed in the letter. That would have been, it <laughs> <gotten>. <laughs> <could've> been <laughs> too, too much of a hint, that would have been too much of a hint. Yeah.
1: Yeah.